Hey, Julie. Hey, Lisa. How's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm excited. We're just a month out from Boston, so it's like right around the corner and getting excited. Yes, we are. We had a wonderful conversation last night with Dan DeFonzo and Ken Traumatore, two local coaches who we respect and enjoy their company so much. And it was so much fun to- Boston veterans, like major- Major Boston 13, veterans. 15 Boston marathons. It was so much fun to rehash the race with them. And we're really excited to bring everyone this week and then in a second episode, because we talked that long- uh, all of our tips for Boston, ranging from what we can do right now all the way up to the finish line of the race. So get excited, listeners, because we basically are providing you with a race prep uh, podcast in two episodes that we hope will answer any questions you have. And if you still have questions, we welcome you to email us at julianlisa at runfarthereandfaster.com should you have any questions. And just one more push while we're talking about communication. Thank you so much to those of you who came through and did some uh, reviews of our podcast this week. It really helps. If you're inclined, we would so appreciate a review. This will allow people to find our podcast. And as we mentioned every week, this is a limited Boston Marathon podcast. And the more reviews we have, the better people will be able to find this podcast and use all of the resources available to help everyone run farther and faster at Boston and any other spring races. How's your week of training been, Lisa? It's good. The weather today finally turned spring-like, so I feel like that little boost of of excitement and adrenaline. So uh, I did, you know, we talked about this last week. I did the rock and roll half marathon last weekend, a little bit cold but the weather turned out nice, dry, which has been rare for races this season. So uh, it was it was a great experience. I will give a little bit of a recap and prep for anybody who's thinking of doing it in the future. Uh, the one challenge that we had was logistics and parking. That's a really a little bit challenging with this race. So if you're doing thinking of doing this in the future, make sure you look into the logistics. The start and finish are in different areas. The start is downtown Constitution and 14th. I believe. So parking is available there. You can get it on Spot Hero or street parking is available as well, especially that early in the morning. But then you have to get back there after because you end at RFK Stadium. And there is parking available at RFK Stadium. It's a little bit different for the marathoners who start at 7 a.m. The half marathon half marathon does not start until 8.30. So if you're arriving later and thinking of parking at RFK to take the metro to the start, be aware that a lot of street closures go into place when the marathon starts and or even before the marathon starts. And that was our big challenge. I went with our friend and neighbor and RFF runner, Chris, and we had headed down super early and still encountered a lot of road closures around RFK and in the end couldn't even get to the lot we were supposed to park in. So we ended up parking on the street at the encouragement of a police officer who said, you're never going to get to the lot. Park on the street. There's no enforcement going on. P.S. Got a ticket at the end. Oh. So we ended up paying $30 for the parking. Uh, so just a little bit. The logistics are a little complicated. Uh, it was partly because uh, we had the VIP uh, pass. So that was the lot that was hard to get to. But that being said, the VIP was kind of nice to have. That was a little bit of the highlight of the day. We got to have a warm indoor 
place to have a whole brunch if you'd like and check bags at the Hard Rock Cafe uh, and a VIP tent afterwards with warming. How was it running with last week? We talked about you got an elite bib. So talk to me about what that was like to run with the elites and how you felt and how the race went. Yeah. So uh, that the highlight of having the elite bib was that VIP pass that you got. So that was, that was neat. And, uh, you know, it was, I got to start in the corral with the Mm -hmm. elites. It was a little bit intimidating because a lot of very well-known top, top runners. I got to see some of them, a few of our Mm -hmm. fellow masters runners who I look up to and admire were there and it was really nice to see them. And, uh, the race went well. I, my goal was to finish fast. Every time I do a race, my goal is to try to finish faster than the year before. And so far this year, that's that's gone well. I finished a minute slower this year. So I don't know what it was. I felt like I was running well. I felt like I was strong. I felt like I was on pace. I look back at my splits and literally it was like four to six seconds slower per mile than last year. So that added up to the, to the minute. So, uh, so I felt good though. And at first I was a little bummed that, you know, you get a goal in your head first. I was a little bit bummed, but then I looked back at my splits and my 5k split, my 10 mile split, and they were all spot on with where they should be and where my, um, my 10 mile split was exactly the time that I'd run my 10 miler in. Uh, so maybe even a little bit fast for a half marathon. Uh, so when I look back at it and I actually looked at it in comparison to my other half marathon times throughout the years, it was actually in the top half. So I, I first was a little bit bummed, but then I put it in perspective and also realized that a minute here or there either way isn't, isn't, too telling, but yeah, I try not to let it get to me psychologically, but it was a, it was a good race. Uh, that is a, a, a tough, um, there's one big hill in the course that, that really can be tough, uh, for all runners, but I think it's particularly tough for the marathoners who take that hill at mile six and, uh, run the rest of that, the first half with us and then split off for the second half. And they changed the course a little bit this year for the second half, uh, for the marathoners. And it is, it's a little bit hillier in places that, doesn't feel so great to be hilly, not super exciting, not very populated. Most of the, most runners run the half. So it gets a little lonely in the second half. So I was watching the marathoners finish and we have a few runners who, who ran the marathon. I think that's a hard second, uh, second half of a course. So again, people considering doing this race for the future, I would say, first of all, logistics are a big consideration getting into DC, parking, getting back to your car, getting home afterwards. And if you're thinking of doing the marathon, that second half is, is pretty challenging and can be a little bit mentally challenging, not 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 as well as physically challenging. So Yeah, I agree. I feel like uh, the Shamrock Marathon is an option. And while uh, in this area, you do have to travel for that. It's certainly not far. And it's, it's just a I think a better race to do a marathon. Yeah. Uh, the half marathon, I think is great locally. Like you mentioned, there's a few logistical issues, but it's, it's manageable. It's a good, uh, tune up race, but the shamrock marathon, if you have to decide on a spring marathon, that's somewhat close is far superior. And speaking of which we have a few runners who will be racing that this weekend and we wish them all the best. They are ready. And we know that they will kick that this weekend. Um, so what about your training this week? I know you've had some Oh, so first of all, congratulations because you you had a great race and um, just my words to you would be that one minute over 13.1 is is very negligible. And secondly, you've been doing a lot over the past month in terms of just life in general. And sometimes just a little bit less sleep here and there and a little more activity here and there can 
sometimes impact just how we feel when we wake up in the morning, but I think you did great. Thank you. So what's going on with you? Um, so with me, as you recall last two weekends ago, I raced a race and I, I took some recovery. I ran easy and, um, I felt good by the time it was time to do my long run last weekend. I ran my long run with the B2B group and I ran, um, 20 and, the route was a tad hilly, but not super hilly. But I noticed toward the end that um, the place on my right knee where my ITB, ITB is located felt a little wonky. And that's very unusual for me. So I immediately, um, of course, was perseverating about it and thinking about it because why wouldn't I? And immediately from the 20-miler run, I had to go to ProAction Physical Therapy to work at the Run Performance Lab, which is formerly known as the Stride Clinic. We volunteer at that once a month for Montgomery County Roadrunners Club. And it was um, our rotation. So we I- volunteer as coaches. Yes, it's we a, volunteer as coaches. It's a clinic where MCRC members can come in and go through a series of stations, coaches, physical therapists, podiatrist, shoe specialist, and kind of get a one-stop shop yes. for advice on running. So we were, you were going there to volunteer yes. for our volunteer shift yes. as so coaches. I was the running coach for the clinic and it was super convenient because of course it's at a physical therapy office. So I turned to one of the physical therapists who was also volunteering. And when we had a break, I said, Hey, Darshini, can you take a look at my knee? And immediately she identified what I thought was happening, which is the place where it looks like it's my ITB. It actually was the result of my right glute not firing. And that is probably as a result of me not completely being recovered from the rest in 10 mile or the week before it being such a heli race. So it's right, so your fatigue. So this goes right. back to what we've talked about before with injury prevention or when we have pains in our knees or mm -hmm. ankles or shins, it's not like you have bad knees or you have bad ankles. It's usually a sign of something up the kinetic chain, your, your powerhouse yes. of running, your glutes, your hip strength, yes. your core strength that is lacking or imbalanced that's causing that pain down the kinetic chain. Yes. Right. So Darshini did some stretches on me and was massaging my glute and also realized, no surprise, that my right hip flexor is also tight. And that is related because when your hip flexor are tight, that can cause your glutes to not fire. My glutes aren't weak, but they're not fire. The right one is tired. Firing. So I think what's happening is that um, I have been driving in an ordinate amount, like many um, parents of kids, my kids' age. And I think just sitting in the car a lot can cause weak hip flexors. And I just need to do a better job um, when the nights when I'm in my car a lot to really try and stretch those out a little bit better before I go to sleep. And Rachel had mentioned when we were talking with her uh, during our NBC4 filming, we had that, you asked yeah. her that question about you know, a lot of our runners and us as parents sit in the car and drive our kids around a lot. What, what we can do to alleviate that those, those symptoms. And she had suggested tilting the seat a little bit forward, like up or, or putting a towel underneath mm -hmm. your seat, I guess, to, to prop yourself up and pulling yourself in closer to the gas and brake pedal. So you're not reaching with your, with your legs. So I don't know if you've tried that. Well, that's no problem because I'm short. Yeah, I'm like that, that mom anyway. that drives really close to the steering wheel that everyone makes fun of. Yes. But, um, long story short, um, after I saw Darshini and I was still standing at this at the Run Performance Lab, Ray, the RNJ shoe volunteer at the Run Performance Lab. Now again, I'm not a client; I'm a volunteer. But this is the benefit of the yes. volunteers. Ray <laughs> takes a look volunteer. at my brand new shoes that I had mentioned last week that I had gotten the Mizuno's, and he said, which I got online through RNJ, and I said, 
He said, I don't like the way those look on you. Ray is so smart that he could look at my shoe with the naked eye without even watching me run. He didn't like the way the tongue of the shoe was bulging a little bit. And he said, you need a wide. I said, what are you talking about? I have very small feet and they're narrow. And he said, that's not wide in running shoes. Wide, of course, is the space between the top of your foot and the top of the shoe. And there should not be a bulge. So everyone listening, look down at your running shoe. If there's a bulge where the tongue is, that means that you need a wider shoe. Who knew? So interesting, yeah, because I would think wide too when we both have narrow feet. There's a point to this. So that all being said, I leave the stride clinic. Um, My knee feels better. I'm not worried. I am continuing to run easy, but I called Rachel's office, ProAction Physical Therapy, and got in an appointment serendipitously. So lucky there was a cancellation or Rachel made room for me, which I always am so grateful for Rachel. And I went in on Tuesday. She took a look at me and everything Darshini said was true. And I'm just working on stretching out my hip flexors a little bit to get my glutes to fire also. And how are you doing that? Rolling um, or... No, so no foam rolling, okay. just stretching and then also doing exercises like um, swings where you're pulling your leg forward and backward and squeezing. And I'm trying to do that a lot also, which I do anyway while I'm running. But the issue is just getting my hip flexors a little less um, tight. tight. Right. So okay. then I went straight from R&J, I'm sorry, from ProAction Physical Therapy up the street to R&J because of what Ray said. I was completely paranoid. Ray spent, Ray from R&J Sports spent an hour with me, just helping me find shoes and educating me. I I think I know a lot. I did not know a lot about shoes. And I am now wearing New Balance. Um, I'm wearing a wide. Ray watched me run in all kinds of different shoes. I have so much room to my toe box is so wide. It's weird. But um, I've been running in these shoes. They're a little softer, but they're not too soft. And um, he took back my Mizunos. So, so anyone uh, listening is oh, in the area yeah. that we always, we've been telling runners this for years, but we really believe it that R&J Sports, which is on Park Lawn Drive in Rockville, they also have a smaller store in Bethesda, but the larger store is on Park Lawn Drive, has the most, the most uh, educated staff members. In Montgomery County. Yes. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. In Montgomery County, local to where we yeah. are and where we run. They are amazing. So, uh, and Ray and Kelly, who volunteer at the, Stri- the now run performance lab, formerly the Stride Clinic, I'm always amazed. I like to listen to them give people advice because I've seen Ray pull out mm-hmm. insoles and say, see how the little indents are on the side of your insole? That means your shoe is too small or your shoe is too narrow. You need a different type mm-hmm. of, you know, a wider toe box. Things that I would never, like you said, I, I thought I knew about shoes. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know about shoes. So if anybody needs uh, shoes and, and conveniently are right down the street from uh, ProAction where we, where we send runners for physical therapy. Yeah. So we're really grateful. Thank you so much to Ray. And we're also grateful to all of our listeners. We got some really nice emails. And one of them was from Gabby. Um, a lot of you know Gabby Wood, but she gave us permission to read what she wrote. And We just really appreciated what she said about last week. She wrote, the guest this past week, Dave M., the director of the Boston Marathon, really spoke to me. Even though I'm not currently trading for a Boston, I just listened to it today and it really did bring back memories, both good and bad. I was six months pregnant at the time, but still went so I could get my bib jacket and other swag. My plan after cheering on my fellow runners was to go to the finish line to grab one of the space blankets. I wanted to cut out the logo and hang it in my classroom. Just before the bombing, I decided I was hungry as I was pregnant and went in the opposite direction to get something to eat. 
Thankfully, I was far enough away to not hear or feel the blast, but did witness the response. And luckily, I was able to get a cab back to my hotel as I heard cabs were not picking up fares, as they didn't know who to trust. My phone went crazy with people checking in on me and me checking Facebook to see if my friends were all okay. I also figure, had I not been pregnant, I would have been close to the finishing time of when the bombs went off anyway. So to say that being pregnant saved my life is an understatement, or at least I feel it did. So thanks for sharing your thoughts, Gabby. Um, We really appreciate your feedback. We appreciate you listening to the podcast and um, everyone else too. So with that, we're going to take you now to a wonderful, lively discussion we had with Dan and Ken. And Lisa, why don't you explain a little bit about what this uh, episode's Yep. Like Julie said, like you mentioned, we sat talking last night for two hours. So we're not going to put two hours worth of the discussion here and load it all in at once. But the, I, th- I think what makes most sense, uh, we started our discussion with what we can be doing now about four weeks out and uh, what to do in the weeks leading up to Boston, getting a packing list ready, what you want to think about heading up to Boston. And then we transitioned to talking about the actual course and course strategy. So we're going to talk about first, we're going to cover preparation, everything you need to start thinking about now, the packing that you're going to want to start doing as we get closer. And then in the next episode, we are going to go through the course step-by-step and mile-by-mile. And I think even for runners who aren't running Boston, a lot of what we talk about, especially in the first part, is relevant to any race prep or any, uh, if you've got a marathon coming up or you're going to be traveling for a race. So it can be relevant to any of those. And even if you're not running Boston, I think it's really interesting and fun to listen to details about the course, this historic course. So hopefully everyone will get something out of it. But I know we were both very grateful to Dan and Ken for spending so much time chatting with us last night. And we all said we could have talked all night. It's fun to talk about Boston, but really grateful to them. All right. Well, have a great week, Lisa. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Bye. We are so excited to welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast today, Dan DeFonzo, and welcome back, Ken Trombatori. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So first, uh, Ken, could you reintroduce yourself to those who did not catch you in episode number two? Uh, Ken Trombatori. I've uh, run probably about 40 marathons at this point, and this is going to be my 13th Boston. And Dan, please introduce yourself to those who may not know you. Yeah, my name's Dan DeFonzo. I've run, I think, in the low 50s, somewhere fewer than 55, but over 50 marathons. Um, this will be my 15th consecutive Boston, and I'm really excited about running it, too. Ran in high school a little bit, and uh, but mainly picked up running the year Oprah started, 94, the Oprah Marathon at Marine Corps, and that was the, the kickoff and ran right by her early in the race. And uh, um, ever since then, I've been uh, addicted to the marathon distance. And, and just know. for people who are curious, what's your PR? My PR is 253 mm-hmm. that I set back at Steamtown in... I think 07. And what's 06. your Boston PR? 259. So wow. close. Yeah. And remind us what your PR is. Uh, 246.59. I am. I, that. I, I think if you look <laughs> right under 247. An athlete actually has me, I think it's like 246.60. It's kind of weird. Oh, it, it rounded up the point, five, nine point, up, like no. six something. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of weird. And then my Boston, I think, is 252, 254, something like that. So, wow. so collectively, we have. 27, well, 25 between me and Julie, uh-huh. and you've got 15. Mm-hmm. So that's 40, 40, and you've got 13. 13. So 53. 
53 Boston Boston marathons. We've got a lot of good knowledge in this room. And that's why we wanted both of you to come on the podcast. Uh, Not just because you're excellent runners and serial Boston marathoners, but you're also both coaches. And uh, we really like your approach to running, both of you. You're both such positive people and you bring so much to our running community. So we wanted you on the podcast today to bring your tips and nuggets of wisdom to all of our listeners, whether they're training specifically for Boston or Spring Marathon. So thanks for coming on. Thank you for having us. All right. So we are one month out from Boston, just about. It's March 14th. And Boston, sorry, March 13th, and Boston is in one month. And so, Ken, I'm going to go with you first. Talk to us and tell us what you think are some things that people should be doing this week and next week before the taper. I think uh, this is when you really, I'm a big fan of trying to gauge where you're going to be uh, based on your marathon pace runs. Um, So I always ask people, are you doing six to eight miles at marathon pace or what you hope to be your marathon pace or faster? Uh, as part of maybe a, a 12 mile run or so, um, that to me has always been a great gauge in terms of really accurately predicting uh, what you should shoot for. Um, because if you if you can't do it in an MP run, you're not going to be able to do it out on the course. Uh, you're going to have a bad experience. But if you can run, you know, 10 15 seconds faster than MP for six or eight miles at this point of the training, just before the taper, uh, you should be, feel really confident going into the race. Great, Dan. What would you would you add anything? I don't know. I, I, I'm a big fan of obviously trying to do a race ahead of time to kind of gauge your performance and see where you are. But I think right now, kind of what Ken said, doing the speed workouts gives you a good feel of how you feel. You know, I did the race a couple of weeks ago, the, the RRCA challenge and felt horrible. I don't know if that was a well, the weather. Wasn't so I don't know if that was that or whether I had been sick afterwards. And I, I talked about it with Julie a little bit and, she, you know, she had mentioned to kind of shake that off, but sometimes I let those things climb in my head. But I think sometimes you need to, if you know, you've had solid training and you're, and you're being realistic about what you've put in time-wise, mileage-wise, um, your, how your track workouts are working, more importantly, how your tempo workouts are going that week, you have a pretty good gauge of how you're going to do on race day, I think, um, as long as you keep your uh, race strategy in check and don't try to, to kill it. And I think sometimes, at least for, I'm speaking for Ken, but for Ken and I, that's where a little bit of experience kind of pays dividends. Yeah. And there's, mm-hmm. do you think there's anything people can change between now and race day? You know, the hay is in the barn, as they say, you really can't, you can't force training and you can't cram for this exam. And I've said this many times for people, you know, you, you've got what you've got. And, you know, we've, it, the winter hasn't been horrible here. It's been cold, but we haven't had tons of snow. So we've been able to hit the roads. I think um, you, you just can't over, you, you can't overachieve. And I think sometimes you need to just be realistic about what you're, uh, what you're capable of doing on race day. And to your point, when you said you can't overachieve and to your point saying a good test run is to do some MP miles or even a 10 K or a half marathon, mm-hmm. which many people did. Um, I just want to add that when you're doing your MPs, if you just don't feel great, but you're hitting your miles, that's okay too. We're not saying you have to feel amazing when you're doing your six to oh, eight no, MPs. Cause I, I, when I, you know, when I've done, you know, the really intense training, um, that's my most dreaded run of the week because I am pushing myself usually at the end and, and you think to yourself, how am I going to do this in a marathon? But it, it all comes together with the taper 
but no, that that was in no way an easy run. That was usually a, a pretty difficult That's run. That's hard for people to grasp. I think a lot of the runners we coach think I couldn't hit these MPs. It was so hard. But when you're running, especially if you're running by yourself and you're not in a group mm-hmm. and it's not in the race environment with the adrenaline of race day and the excitement of race day, it is really hard to hit those paces. It's the adrenaline of race day, the excitement, the the hydration. I think that plays a key role that you tend to really focus on that a lot more. And your taper, the taper. The taper, the rest, and and the mental. You know, I'll I'll agree with everything you're saying. I've never had, even the year I had my PR, I remember religiously doing those Thursday morning workouts where we did tempo runs. Half of those miles were at MP. And and basically, I I almost never hit all those mid those miles at, at marathon pace. I think sometimes it's a combination of you're obviously tired from all your training. You're doing it at, in my case, 445, mm-hmm. 545 in the morning and your body still doesn't know what the heck happened. And and I also will say I've never had, and, and the guys that I train with have heard me say it before, we do the week before, two weeks before as our track workout, we do a few MP miles and it always feels hard to do a couple of those MP miles. And I say to myself, how am I going to run 26 miles at this pace? And yet on race day, almost always you're able to do it. It's, again, it's the same. It's that rest. It's that excitement. It's um, knowing that you're part of it. And in Boston, even more so because, you know, this is the granddaddy and um, you just feel you just are hypercharged. Okay. So for any day. of our listeners who are listening and getting ready for whatever race and thinking, how am I going to hold this pace that I should be able to hold based on my race results? you'll be able to do it if you've put in the training time and everything comes together on race day. And again, that's going to depend on weather, mm-hmm. weather that's and weather, weather and weather <laughs> and weather, like I said, really, and in, on health as well. So like you said, maybe you got a little bug or something. We've had runners like that who go out to run a race and can't quite figure out what went wrong. And it turns out they had a little virus or something that they didn't realize they had. So, but if everything comes together, you just have to trust your training. I think it's, it's being realistic and I'm, and I'm sorry for interrupting. It's, I, I think, what people tend to do, especially when they're inexperienced, is they try. They start to get excited in that last three weeks during the taper, and they start to realize how good they feel. This happens on race day all the time. And all of a sudden, they're reassessing their goal of three hours and 30 minutes, and they're saying, I feel so great. I think I can do a 315. And we all know how those races <laughs> end up. I, I mean, I always say it's it's not a race. It's the strategic execution of a plan. That's that's what the marathon is exactly. And how do you how do you practice that strategic execution of a plan now at this point in training? Is there is there anything that you do? Um, you know, I not really. It's it's really planning out for race day. So it's again doing an honest assessment of where you're at, honest assessment of not just those MP miles. Am I putting in the long runs? You know, if you're doing those MPs, but you're not doing those twenty milers, those twenty twos you're probably not going to have the endurance. So it's it's doing an honest assessment. If you're not capable of doing it, maybe ask a friend, right? Does it seem like this is something I can do? And then uh, just really planning for race day. So, you know, looking at the course kind of in your head, as, as you talked about, watching some videos and, and looking at that elevation chart. We'll talk about this in a few minutes, but, you know, realizing that you are going to be faster in certain areas. Um, you know, as you're doing those MP miles, ticking off those miles on your watch and, um you know, doing things like that. And then when it comes to race day, really putting down, you know, your splits at certain points, where am I going to be at five? Where am I going to be at 10? Uh, And just really staying honest with yourself. Yeah. I think those are great tips and we'll get more into that when we talk about race execution. Um, I want to go back to Dan. Um, Ken just gave tips on making sure you do a, a marathon pace miles during a medium tempo run. 
you um, seem to always have good advice for the last long run, which usually takes place three weeks before the marathon. So for people running Boston, it will be next weekend. Mm -hmm. Tell our listeners what advice you have for the final long run. Are you talking about how to execute it? How to how just to... Um, nutrition, mental execution, mm -hmm. all of those things. Yeah, I mean, we treat this long, last long run. It's a great time to practice all the things that you'd think you're going to be doing on race day. I mean, you could, everything from what clothing you're going to be wearing. We try to wear the same clothing. Um, obviously, the weather conditions could be slightly different, but you know, if you're going to be taking goos, I I prefer the espresso love goos. I, I eat those on the training run just to make sure. Yeah, I, mean, I, I like them. I'm not a caffeine drinker, so I get a charge from those things. But you want to make sure all your systems are go. You're you're drinking water at the right places. If you're going to plan to take uh, salt tablets, mm -hmm. take them before the race um, and to make sure you're doing that. If you're going to wear a hat or, or anything else, mm -hmm. wear those things. Those little details make a big difference. Use the body glide. Find Bo out where you need glide. the body glide. You know what yeah. I think? Maybe as experienced marathoners, we kind of forget all the things that can go wrong, right? So we, yeah, I know where my socks are and I know my race shorts are, my race shorts I always wear. So we don't really think about on that last run. But if you're a new runner and you're thinking, well, maybe I'll try this new clothing or maybe I'll try mm -hmm. these new socks. You want to try it on that last simulator run. Um, you know, try new goos. I'm very excited because I found a, another source for power gels that I'm pretty sure have discontinued the U.S. But um, there's a website that I, I think they're getting them from Germany because they're German package. <laughs> but uh, yeah, make sure you've got your nutrition down. That you on the black market. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> maybe, I they're, they're German, so they're probably yeah. Um, the other thing I'll say too is make sure that your pre-run routine is the same. I mean, Ken knows me and I, I actually take my cereal with me to Boston, the same cereal that I eat at home. So it's like, you know, I'll have my banana cereal and milk, the same identical stuff. And I make sure I have that pre-race when I, I do that pre-long run. I eat the same stuff all year round. It's not a good time to change those details up. And we hear about people that decide to do it all the I, time. I, I accidentally did it to a friend. Uh, actually, my first Boston, he's like, oh, I don't really have any food. I go, well, here's, here's some of my cereal. And it was Kashi Golin. Which is like colon oh. Which is like really bad. <laughs> but, yeah. And for me, I was used to it. But yeah, he, he ended up causing him some issues. So I felt really bad about that. Yeah. And the other thing that's important to talk about for the long run is a lot of people are feeling good. You're excited about that long run. Don't run your race yes. on long run race yes. day. Yes. Uh, no, medals run for, day. no medals There's for no medals. There's no award that's ever, been, that's ever been given for having a great last long run. And we hear about people that do it all the time, that they were supposed to adhere to an eight minute pace and they did 730s and they're so proud of themselves. But on race day, they're done. So, um, you know, it's so important to not let that same excitement that we're going to experience on race day get to us on our last training run. So it's go for newer runners. It could also be just, I'm going to kind of give myself a test and see if I can really hold that pace for so long, you know, and forgetting that the reason of the, of doing a long run is to build endurance, to get your body to run for that period of time, not for that particular speed. That's what you're in a piece of track worker for. I love your advice that you echoed um, because I think people need to remember, especially masters runners, that it is better to go into race day under trained than over trained. Amen. And along those lines, three weeks, four weeks before is not too early to start thinking about sleep and rest. And that's something I know I do even three weeks out, start looking, it's nine o'clock. I'm going to start getting ready for bed and 
try to get into bed earlier and get that rest and recovery was that so important especially as you taper i mean again everybody has their own different taper strategy i'm sure there are four different taper strategies among around the table here but you know typically what i've always been taught is you kind of cut about a third of your mileage per week i'd spend that extra time getting that extra hour of sleep you know massage get a massage so the rest you can't under underscore and i know julie and 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 lisa talked about it in the podcast in the past the, the value of rest is can never be understated yeah, absolutely. it's hard because especially as you get deeper into taper and you feel like you should be doing more, add that rest to your list of doing more and chuck that off your list, add it to your training schedule. Now, I have another question. Um, one month out or a few weeks out, are you, I know you're not a caffeine drinker, Dan. Are you a caffeine drinker? Uh, after our second child, definitely. Okay. <laughs> yes. I got, I got into my coffee after my second child mm-hmm. too, but Mike Shane prescribes to this. I don't know if you do this as well. He's, he goes on a coffee. Um, he abstains from coffee. I was going to say abstinence. Yeah. (laughs) He abstains from coffee beginning about a month to three weeks out. And then the morning of the marathon, he gets his coffee and he's like, bam. So do you, I do either of you do that? Do you abstain from, uh, let me, let me just say mine because mine's quicker than Ken's, but I, as you know, I don't drink Caffeine, mm-hmm. really. I'll, like I'll drink some iced tea. I don't drink soda either. Mm-hmm. Um, but on race day, I have those 2X caffeines and they are like, and you know me, I'm, I'm a little bit of a hyper person oh, anyway. Mm-hmm. And those things just absolutely amp me up. And Julie knows what I have. You, wait, so you 2X caffeines, you mean your espresso? Espresso love gels, goose. Okay, and they're, they're two times caffeine and I just get a charge from the very first one. And we can talk about goose strategy uh-huh. later, but I, okay. I eat a lot of goose throughout the race, and I, I swear that accounts for some of my uh, performance. See, I, I already know that my caffeine hits at certain times mm-hmm. of the day. So once I get that morning coffee, I can tell when I'm on conference calls and stuff for work, I'm mm-hmm. talking faster. Um, I actually have to slow myself down. So I'm not worried that I'm not going to get the boost if I, if, you know. You're not immune. I'm not it's immune. Still, it still no. affects oh, yeah, still, no. it's, it's still affects you. It still completely affects me. And why don't you tell everyone what you do <laughs> in the morning of race? <laughs> because yes. I've already told my beef jerky after yeah. the race stories. Yeah. I, I don't, I'm like you, I don't drink caffeine mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't like coffee and mm-hmm. I don't drink sodas, but on race morning, I get a diet Mountain Dew and I drink <laughs> that as my pre-race drink. And I, it, mentally, it's probably mostly placebo effect, but mentally it gives me that. No, there's a lot of caffeine yeah. in there. There's a lot of caffeine yeah. in that. But, but, but I would tell anybody who doesn't do that and may think about trying mm-hmm. to get caffeine to again, try it beforehand because it can affect your GI system. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. It can maybe make you too wired or wired and crash. So I would say, make sure you, you know, you can, you can yeah. tolerate it if you're going to either cut it out and then try it or just try it for the first time. Well, it, it's going to go back to that initial pacing, right? Like if you're super wired, cause you're not used to caffeine, you're going to look down at your watch and be like, wow, I'm going to set a huge yeah. bar today. Yeah. 30 seconds so fast. Talk yeah. really fast. Look at the people around you. And uh, yeah, you're going to crash. And, and pace discipline is a problem for anybody, yeah. whether they're taking caffeine or not. And so. if you're like speedy, <laughs> speedy right, yeah. Gonzalez on caffeine. Especially so I Boston. think this brings up another point, which is three weeks before Boston, if you decide you want to use caffeine as your strategy, great time to practice that is your last long run. Mm-hmm. And if you choose not to have any for the next three weeks, it still works mm-hmm. um, in your favor. Uh, caffeine is is the last legal stimulant around, it's very effective. Many elites use it, um, but it's super important to practice with it because 
it can cause problems with your GI system, as Lisa mentioned. Especially in that late in that long, long run yeah. too. That's when you really want to try to take in some of those fluids to see if your stomach can handle it. We know a lot of people that just don't tolerate the fluids and you need them, quite frankly, late in the race as much as you need them early. Yep. Some people use coffee to get things going, though. You know, right, yeah. they can't <laughs> flush out the system. They got to flush out the mm-hmm. system, and that's mm-hmm. important. Well, and that's also too. something to, to practice. You need to know that timing of yeah, that. You got to know that timing. That yeah. timing and you want to have down, and and how it relates to your eating. You know, if you're going to yeah. eat your breakfast at five in the morning, and let's talk and, about and, it. Go ahead. I, I, know, I was just going to say. Yeah. I mean, let's talk you, about it. it. It may be something where you work to start shifting that schedule too. Right. You know, where you try to go at nine, or or if you're normally like mm-hmm. a midday, you might want to you know, move it back so that it's going to be before race time. Um, yeah, to your point, Boston is a race that starts much later than most of us run. So if you're someone who eliminates early in the morning, you, you may You'll probably be, be okay. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. but you should be up early at the normal times that your body mm-hmm. is in its routine. Even mm-hmm. if that means not sleeping in as late as you'd like, well, we'll talk about the schedule for Boston and what we prefer. The reality is many people aren't starting the race till 1030 and you may not want to get on that first bus at six and that's cool. That's fine. But you still may want to get up and get going to get your system going because you don't want to be in a situation where you're at the start line and your stomach's bothering you. You want to poop. Everybody does Ideally it. in the hotel before you leave for the buses, right. but I, I you do where you ever have to. One of the benefits of getting up reason. to Hopkinton early is those, those porta potties. Fresh porta potties with the paper yes. on them. When you're tearing off that, that you feel good. And you know what? Last year the porta potties were a great place to be because they were warm and dry and you can get into a clean one. I think there was somebody was hanging late. out in one last year. I remember there was somebody there was who had just gone into a porta potty and was just hanging out in there, <laughs> and everyone was getting mad. And they said somebody's just been in there since like early in the morning. They got in a fresh porta potty. <laughs> I'm just gonna say your ratings on this podcast are gonna be <laughs> this is the poop episode. Tune in. But you also don't, you know, you want to get done early because you know they might run out of toilet paper, which right. happens as um, well. Bring your own. Yeah, bring, bring your own. Bring, bring your own. It's so yeah, that, that's, that's, okay. We should let's know, shift towards closer to the week and the week All right, out. We'll go back to bathroom and and Hopkins because I think this is an important topic and I do want to address it some more. But I did actually have one question before yeah. we move on. Does anybody practice? their long run a little bit later in the morning to simulate that extra hours. I don't. Yeah. I I haven't found that it really makes that big of a difference. Same. I don't. But what I do sometimes is I try to run, um, not always first thing in the morning, just to make sure that I'm a little bit used to it. For me, at least it's a digestive issue. If I, I usually run on an empty stomach when I run super early. And if I run a little later, I've had breakfast in me. And so I just want to practice that a little bit. I think that's All right, so we've now covered approximately one month out from race day. Let's let's talk about one week out. So with Boston, that would be the Monday before race day. But just to make things easier, easier, we'll say it's the weekend before race day. Now, one thing that's unique in this area, and a lot of our listeners are considering this, is the Cherry Blossom race, the 10-miler, is the Sunday before the Boston Marathon eight days later. And uh, I have mixed feelings about it. So, Lisa, talk to me about what you do. Yeah, I've done it every year before I've run Boston. I think most years it's one week. I don't know if it's ever been two weeks, but I think it's most one week. And I've 
always raced it. I used to go in with the, well, I'll just run it at a MPs and you go and I can't, it, it's hard for me to do that. So I've always raced it. And then I really taper and recover, uh, whatever that might be. Last year I did cryotherapy after, or I just make sure I'm getting good sleep and I don't really run much. I teach my cycle classes and shake out my legs, but I've raced it every year and I've never had a problem racing it. The one, I will say the one year I had a problem, I did actually have a problem one year. I did Shamrock Marathon first. I used to like to do an early spring marathon. So I had like a qualifying time in the bank and I could go and run Boston, no pressure. I shifted that to this uh, fall, a fall marathon Mm -hmm. because I did Shamrock one year. So I did Shamrock Marathon in mid-March, came back, I did Cherry Blossom Uh, and I pulled my hamstring during cherry blossom, which has never happened before. And I went to Boston with a little bit of a pulled hamstring and I ran Boston pretty easier effort, um, and got on the plane after and noticed the back of my leg was all black and blue. I did. I was Toronto this year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I remember that actually. So not, wasn't a great idea. So that year I decided that a marathon and cherry blossom, then Boston was just too much for me, but I've been okay with cherry blossom racing it. And, and actually what you were talking about with that kind of that last race, giving you a little bit of a confidence boost, uh, it, it makes me at least gives me a sense of what a good reasonable finish time to shoot for in Boston is. And, um, so I, I haven't had a problem with it before. What about you guys? I also run it, but I actually help organize. I work with gold's gym to organize the official pacers for the race. So I typically throw myself on a grenade and, and run a little <laughs> bit slower than my marathon pace. I try to do a minute per mile slower. So I'll pace this year. I'm, I'm going to pace the nine minute group. And, um, I, if I had my, my choosing, I would still pace. If I was racing it or running it, I would probably run at at nine minute pace and then try to race the last half of it. I don't know for me whether racing the whole race would be, would benefit me the week before race. I'm just too cautious, I think about, about that. But if it works for you, that's great. I think it's just two weeks out. I can do it. A week, Mm -hmm. week is too close for me. I think you could almost use it like a simulator run. Again, trying your your MP miles that may have been harder in training, but now with the excitement of a race atmosphere, having your gels, kind of practicing everything, it could be a good way to to do that. Maybe not for the full ten, maybe for you know five, six, seven. You know, a good good test. So the past couple of years, I have raced Cherry Blossom before Boston, and that's because I was just sick of having all of this great training and then being disappointed by the weather of Boston. (laughs) And I just, I'm particularly glad I raced Cherry Blossom last year because the weather in Boston wouldn't allow for any sort of decent time, at least for, for me personally, not for everyone. But um, that being said, my strategy in going to Cherry Blossom is I see how I feel the week before. And if I feel completely healthy and strong and well-rested, I take the first 5k of the race at MP And then if I feel better, I pick it up and finish strong. And it's a good race simulator for me because it forces me to start out slow. Um, I take my nutrition. Usually Lisa and I get a hotel room the night before together for Cherry Blossom because we meet all of our runners down there. And it's just, we get there very early. And um, it just is a way to sort of simulate the race the week before. I don't, I, I would not do this though if I didn't feel completely healthy going into cherry blossom. If I feel at all that my immune system or my body is in any way compromised, I would probably choose to pace a runner or opt out of the race altogether. Or if the weather was particularly mm-hmm. bad, if it was a yeah. really hot day or something, I would also well, say that. A week out, you can you can maybe get a decent gauge what Boston's going to look like too. So right. yeah. back to your point, if it's looking pretty pretty confident that it's going to be seventy degrees and you've been training thirty degree <laughs> weather. Maybe you go, again, stretch your legs out of Cherry Blossom and fun run Boston. Yep. Yeah. 
So, okay. So a week out, in addition to obsessing about the weather, uh, what's your, each of you, what's your favorite weather forecast to use for Boston? Any preferences? What would you like to see? I mean, I taking orders. You know, I, I kind of subscribe to the, the the Doc Brown from Back to the Future. Since when can weathermen predict the weather? Um, unless you see a really big system, and they can usually tell that. It, in my opinion, it's still just a few days out. Um, if you start seeing, well, there's a chance of rain, chance of snow, or and that's a week out. You know, that's not very reliable. I, I don't start obsessing about the weather till about three or four days. Again, unless you could, unless it's a big warm front mm-hmm. coming through. And, you know, it's pretty much assured it's going to be there. People think I'm a fibber, but I spend no time worrying about the weather. It's just I, I'd rather focus my attention on things I have control over in my Love race. It. I wish and, I could. And, tell I, that. and I don't. So I, I don't want look, to every year. I don't look I... at a forecast. For one thing, we've been doing this for 15 plus years. And one thing I can tell you is the forecast is never the same a week out that it is on race day. Mm-hmm. So it's just there's just a waste of energy, and it gives you nothing but ne- negative thoughts to me. So I'd rather focus on all the things I have control over, and then the day before, only because I have to pack the right clothes, start to think about that. So I just don't spend a lot of time, and quite frankly, I'm seeing other people talk about it, so I'm getting it from other people. Mm-hmm. I literally never get on the weather websites and check the weather. I just don't I do that. it. That's just me though. I and love it. My favorite story is the, the the hot year, 2012. I looked about a week out and it said it was going to be 35 and freezing rain. And I thought, that looks horrible. That's, gonna be, <laughs> that's my nightmare weather. Like yeah. we have, you know, 35 and yeah. freezing rain and look what you happened. I always like to tell people who look a week out. I'm like, well, in 2012, I looked a week out and look what it told us. So, so although last year it did say for the entire week, week and a half before, I think you remember, Julie and I starting to say like, huh, it looks like rain, but we're not going to get too worried about it. Eh, it's still looking like a lot of rain. And I remember reading a blog. I remember one of the forecasters in Boston wrote a blog that was like, it's going to be bad. And it was like a week out. And I was like, huh, is it going to be bad? So that was the one exception. I'd say they knew that for, for some time, but most, most likely it's, it's I, I think that was a lot, you know, yeah, that was something that just happened, just happened out of all the line, years. Right? It happened, yeah, exactly. One of the years it has to come together. So, so, um, one week out also, even though I know you don't look at the weather, it is a good time though to start gathering mm-hmm, all the mm-hmm. things we need to pack. So let's talk about um, what what do we need to pack for Boston that's unique for Boston? Well, everything's disposable. Mm-hmm. Everything you bring up to the start mm-hmm. line. So you can either do, you know, the goodwill and, you know, try to find something fashionable. I hear now with everyone, you know, hugging their belongings and, and giving them the goodwill and wishing them good luck. You could probably get some really nice clothes uh, and be the most fashionable person up there. That's one way to approach it. Uh, the other way is just go clean out your closet a little bit uh, again. And that may still be fashionable clothes. I, I think it's a fun opportunity to kind of wear something crazy. I was talking to Julie that mm-hmm. I found an auction site that had wedding dresses and I thought we should all get wedding dresses. <laughs> we still have we, we still have something from a few years ago. We haven't had a chance to yeah. wear it. Well, got stashed in the closet. Okay, so I, I, yeah, we had an idea though based on the wedding dresses. Bridesmaids. Prime the prom thing. Prom, prom thing. <laughs> oh. Uh, well, first of all, I saw my wedding dress upstairs. I'm trying to get rid of it. I'm going to bring it to, but no, I can't even pack it. you it's can't bring your wedding no. dress. Um, I used to have an awesome prom dress that I, I think I still may have it somewhere. It's it's like a Southern debutante. I actually wore it in 1990 to a prom. I'm not implying I would fit into my prom <laughs> dress. No, no, I'm not saying one from Goodwill. Oh, Only I could bring, no, I could bring this dress. It's like. A debutante, can you really want like layers and layers and layers? But I think that's that's the one thing yeah. that's unique about Boston. Um, the fact that you're going to spend so much time, you know, out on the field beforehand, you got to make sure that you have 
warm enough clothes for that. Again, based on the weather, like Dan said, just, mm-hmm. you know, 48 hours out, um, possibly, you know, some, some shoes that you want to get rid of if it's going to end up being a wet day, extra socks. So yeah, things like that. Yeah. 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 What about um, a fanny pack? I don't There's, think that they're allowed. Where the, they're, they're allowed. They get, we're allowed to have their, their, at least last year, I think it still applies this year that the, the fanny pack that was probably oh, under okay? a certain, right. It's always, remember we you had know, to have it under certain bags. I thought, and it was, I thought last year and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm talking off the cuff. I feel like last year they issued us plastic bags for Hopkinton and we couldn't have the fanny pack in addition to that anymore. I thought you could. I don't know about the yeah. fanny pack. It I has to be under that, certain measurements, but they yeah. weren't okay. measuring them. I mean, so, yeah. uh, the big thing for me is I do a little combination of both. I, I pull some stuff out of my closet. I, the good thing that makes me feel good about uh, of what they do in Hopkinton is all that clothing is is collected and given to charity. So I don't mind leaving a nice uh, running shirt. I don't bring my Sunday best for the race day to, to leave behind, but I will leave stuff knowing that it's going to go to a charity and get, get uh, distributed appropriately. I also am uh, pretty boring and then I'm a routine man. And as Ken knows, and you guys know, I wear my Tyvek suit, um, every year that thing is waterproof, one way waterproof and it breathes. So, um, it kept me warm. I ran it for most of the race last year. Um, that kept me warm. So I am a believer in that. Um, I'm, but I'm a big believer in, in, um, in layers up there. Obviously you don't want to get too hot and you don't want to get too cold and you can spend an inordinate amount of energy, shivering up mm-hmm. there and you don't want to waste that energy pre-race. So like, how do you stay warm? So what, 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 what kind of year do you get to stay warm? Um, definitely multiple layers. Um, you know, uh, gloves, kind of a tight fitting layer, yeah. some gloves, you know, um, hand warmer. I use hand the warmers. hand warmers, hand warmers. My hands don't usually get as warm, but hand warmers are good. Um, hats, shirts. Again, it's the nice thing about layers is you can always add more layers, you know, but, uh, you can't add them if you don't have them. Right. So right. it's better to have them there and take them off while you're up there if it gets warm than to not have them at all. Like Dad said, shiver. Absolutely. I mean, we bring a lot of things in addition to clothing that we know that we're going to leave behind. Little small, you know, the end of a container of Vaseline or, or Aquaphor or other blankets, you know, toilet paper. Blankets. Some, well, Dan always brings a plastic bag that he yeah. folds up into like a tiny little tiny little square that expands out and that we all see. I think everybody should bring a little bit of that. Well, painter's tarp is kind of what we call it. The mm-hmm. real single layer. And you can, you can put that in. I, I fold it up. It fits into a baggie. And yep. I, and I, so you don't have to sit on the large. grass on the mm-hmm. cold And that ground. is a huge trick because we see every year and especially last year with the rain, we see so many people sitting in the mud and just finding pieces of trash to sit on. So having that, and, and we highly recommend people bring that extra. And even if it's a, an additional trash bag, a trash mm-hmm. bag is the one mm-hmm. item that everybody should have. And we can talk about that in a second, why, why to have a trash bag, um, not only to wear, but to use as a portable uh, restroom and it makes the best portable <laughs> or changing area or, or changing area. <laughs> But, but more than anything, it's a wind block. It keeps you warm. When that sun is shining on a dark brown bag, it insulates you and you are comfortable. And I am a huge believer in in those uh, dr- drum liners that you can get at Costco that go all the way down to your knees. And the women love them. Um, I'm not going to name They think Dan's especially attractive when he's wearing them. <laughs> yes. You know, I'm not, I'm not here to, to score fashion points. I know that. The one thing I'll also bring up that you know, save me last year. And I think it saved quite a few other people. And again, kind of going back, looping back to poop and things like that. But, um, we actually brought some lubricant, some sex lube, sex lube um, <laughs> silicone base because it doesn't wash off in water. And we knew we were going to be in puddles the entire time and having gone through races and gotten blisters and then try to pop blisters oh. by pounding on them so that they're not throwing your stride off. 
you can put that on your feet, especially if you know it's going to be a rainy run. It's not going to wash off with the water, and it's going to keep your toes and your feet slippery the entire race, and you're not going to get blisters. I can tell you, I finished Boston last year, not a single blister, and we were running through, you know, deep puddles. Sex I guess lube for the win. Yeah, yeah. It, it was great. I was, I was, I mean, all of us were using the sex lube mm-hmm. at Hopkinton. It was really the only thing. It was far superior than Body Glide right. because of how incredibly wet it was. And then the other side of the weather continuum. <laughs> it's well, when I pulled it off, everyone's like, "Why? What are you doing? What are you doing, Hopkinton? Put it on your feet. It's not a foot obsession. Oh Don't worry the other side of that weather continuum that you don't can't ignore is suntan lotion. Yeah, I mean, we've had, and I don't know if you've talked about it in your podcast, but we've had, you know, we, we like to put our names on our arms in black marker. And if you don't have a layer of suntan lotion under that or over that, you will have a tattoo with your name for at least two months. Um, and it's happened, you know, your right side is, is facing the sun that entire, you know, entire distance. And even if Boston. it's not hot, it's still sunny. It's yeah. Still, yeah. Well, you I, haven't seen sun for four or five, six months. So <laughs> you, you, we get sunburned and, and it, it can be bad. The funny thing about that tattoo is it fades, but then when you get a tan over the summer, it comes back. Right. So you, you have it for like Ooh, six months. Yeah. You have like Dan on your yes. arm. But for... the thing to remember for any spring race is, you know, you're thinking, well, this race is, it's down country road. We have shade. There's no leaves on the trees. So even mm-hmm. if it's, you know, you're right next to the trees, you're still getting almost full sun. Yeah. There's no, escape. there's no And coverage. like you said, you haven't done that for, you mm-hmm. haven't been exposed to that. For so a, a couple of unique things we mentioned quickly that we just, aside from sex lube, which I think everyone heard <laughs> is a, a black Sharpie to write mm-hmm. your name. Um, that's great because mm-hmm. at, and when times are hard, nothing's better than people yelling your name. It's Absolutely. really helpful. I always say it's good well. for two minutes of race time. Right. Yeah. I, I did that my first marathon. Somebody told me for Marine Corps and I thought it was really great. And then I did it for my second. It was Boston. I did it for Boston and it was great for about the, that first half. And I think I did my third marathon. And after that, I said, I'm not, I didn't want to hear my name anymore yeah. after like well, the first if, couple months. Like, if you want to try like a cool new nickname too, it's a yeah. good time. You know, you can like just write anything you want. To. Yeah. yeah. Trixie is a yeah. Trixie. There yeah. you go. <laughs> Actually, that's a great idea to just have like your porn star name or something, right. you know, or just some sort of funny yeah. bring it yeah. back to bring it back yeah. to the sex okay thing. anyway um all right so what is your porn star name, by the way? isn't it the name of your first pet and then In the, the street, street you live on yeah, yeah. Exactly. so mine would be brandy buckeye <laughs> muffy, that, that, muffy, actually muffy Bartlett. that actually works that actually works max dufy <laughs> what's your yeah sandy bernice not at all wait high. what's yours dan muffy bartlett yours oh, is good <laughs> anyway okay um so, yeah, so we've got uh, Tyvek suits, we've got trash bags, tarps, just throwaway um, clothes. Throw clothes. But I should also say, if if you get to Boston and either the weather forecast changes or you realize you forgot something, there are a lot of places to go. We ended up in Marshalls last year buying um, uh, uh, blankets. fleece blankets that were on mm-hmm. sale for like $7.99 because we decided that was actually key to have. One thing we discovered a few years ago that we really like are onesie pajamas because those keep you nice and warm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ones with the flap are actually particularly good mm-hmm. for all the reasons we've talked mm-hmm. about. But mm-hmm. um, but if you do forget something, there's a Marshalls, TJ Maxx. There are, are stores up there that you can go in and hopefully scavenge. There's an H&M where I've gotten la- a couple, uh, maybe it was last year, a few years ago. Maybe it was in 2015 when it also rained. I went in and got a pair of shoes, really inexpensive shoes, to where that's another item, I would say, if it looks like it's going to be rainy or messy at the start, a disposable pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. I saw so many people last year who wore their running shoes to the start, and we know what that looked like. And they got to the start line, and they were just 
soaking wet shoes already. If you get mud and stuff in them too, that grit can get down there and yeah. get back See, to the yeah. I'm different about that. I just, I am resigned that my shoes get wet in the first mile and I just, I don't care about that. It's a good opportunity to get rid of old shoes. <laughs> I guess it is. Or but you can, I always put plastic bags and like, be careful not to slip it yeah. over the shoes. But just think about that. But again, yeah. if you forget something, there are plenty of places to buy things. Yeah. And I can't underscore the importance of bringing a small roll of toilet paper. You need it to obviously for the porta potties, but you can blow your nose in it. And it's, it's, it's worth having, trust me. And band-aids as well for, especially for guys. We have seen many a bloody nipple on the course and Gun that is not out like a bell. Especially, <laughs> if especially if it's raining, then it's not an enjoyable feeling. And if you're going to be taking salt tabs, Yes. Make sure you bring your stash of those. I think I forgot mine last mm-hmm. one year. I forgot mine in one in of the races. In a Ziploc bag, yeah. a, a stash of Ziploc baggies. If you're going to be distributing your gels, if you take like, Julie and I both take gels, and I put them pre-race in four know. or five, yeah, <laughs> four or five separate baggies. So Ziploc baggies. Okay, so we've now talked about what to pack, what to bring. Oh, one more thing, and an experienced marathon should know it. Marathoners should know this, but it's worth mentioning. Uh, if you have so much stuff that you need to check your luggage, do not check your running shoes. Yes. Bring those on the plane. Okay. Yes. So now. Clothes, watch, shoes. Yeah. Yes. Clothes, watch, shoes. Yes. And garment charger. And make, yes. make a part packing list. That's a good thing to do now, yes. three or four weeks out. Listen to this podcast, write some things down, but write, the, make a list and then check it off because you'll think you have everything and you may realize you forgot your watch or yeah, yeah. Be, the yeah. charger. Your it watch could be part charger. Way, part way on a run now. Don't forget to bring this. Don't forget to bring this. Right. I've, d- yeah. I've done it for every race I've ever done. Just create, a, you know, I don't even use a template. Some people, Brian Kim was world famous for creating a template <laughs> that he shared, but I would handwrite my own list every time and, um, and well, adhere to it and just yeah, So start doing that now and just yeah. start, like you said, you're on a run, you think, oh, this is what I need. Make sure you make a note and add it to a memo on your phone or. Good idea. Okay. So you've, uh, however you travel to Boston, we're now in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, Ken, you go first. Give us some tips about your weekend in Boston before the race. I think it depends on, uh, you know, if it's your first Boston or, you know, for our case, you know, 10th or 12th. First Boston, I I say, you know, enjoy the expo. Uh, You're going to spend way too much money on Boston gear. Take pictures in front of every sign. uh, Find your name up on any boards. Write all the little inspirational chalk messages. um, And just really absorb the experience as much as you can. Hopefully, you know, maybe you'll have some of your family there, take pictures with them, um, and just really soak it in as much as you can. Um, for experienced marathoners, I think a lot of us kind of go through the expo a little bit quicker. We've been to so many expos. We kind of go in, get our number, take a few pictures and, and head on out. But uh, don't spend too much time at the expo. Uh, again, if you're experienced, you probably don't need to. But the newcomers, there's little seminars and stuff they do. Sometimes they do course overviews. Uh, they'll have nutritionists there. They'll have people talking about all sorts of aspects of the of the race that you know you may find enlightening and a good way to fill the day. Yeah, I, I, I don't have much to add. Um, I don't like to spend a lot of time in the expos. I'll go. If there's something new and I like, I'll buy it. But typically, I'm in to pick up my packet, and then I'm back out of there as quickly as I can. Um, you can spend an inordinate amount of time in an expo, and um, it's just wasted energy to me. I'd rather just get back and, and, and spend my time in my room making sure my clothes are laid out right for the next day and, and that we're I'm still doing my nutrition routine up until our last meal, the last supper the night before and, um, and then get plenty of sleep or attempted sleep um, the night before the race. Just check your bag for any coupons for like Sam Adams mugs or anything. You may have to stop by their booth to get things like that. Right. So, Oh, that's a good point. Um, 
at the expo, there's a lot of free food. Don't treat it like Costco. Um, you want to stick totally to your nutritional like plan. <laughs> yeah. You want to stick to your nutrition plan and and not eat all of the fibrous bars available because some of them may not be appropriate for. You may not realize what's actually in them. Yeah, <laughs> like, wait, and that especially goes that? for the Sam Adams booth. Yes. Too, too, that they serve their beer, which is tempting. Yeah. So um, we our rule of thumb is even if you're new and you want to experience everything, try not to spend more than an hour at the expo. If you want to go back, you can always go back. But just at the same time, don't be there for more than an hour. There's so many now, especially now. There's so many people. It's crowded. It's it's, you can't even get through the, the, so the aisles. But it is really, I mean, no, it is fun. And we, Julie and I both enjoy going there and doing a, a round through the whole, but it's, but it, 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 it does feel now tiring and a little bit stressful. I think it'll be better this year. Last year it was at the sea. Right. It was a different, the seaport. It was, yeah, yeah it'll be better this year. Okay. So, um, also, we should add there's a Trader Joe's across the street from the expo. And so if you need some food, that's the place to go. So that's just you want to stock to up for mind. something. And that is something I do, too, is I stock up for things in my room, usually drinks, water, bottles of water, snacks, that sort of thing, and, and keep okay. them in my room. So there's, there's a lot of little grocery stores. There's yes. CVSs and yep. stuff. Google, yeah. Google Maps. The, the Walgreens. Yep. Um, and, and activities, in addition to the expo, the day before the marathon, while it's tempting to do the Freedom Trail with the family, Try and schedule your tour of Boston if you haven't been there before, if you've only visited a few times. It's, it's important to see the sites, but we really encourage people to consider doing the heavy um, walking sightseeing after the marathon. However, one really great thing to do the day before the marathon, I think, if it's not too hot, is to go to a baseball game. Uh, Red Sox games are super fun, and you're sitting and you can have your water and your electrolytes and just relax and enjoy the game. Make sure you get seats in the shade. Mm-hmm. Um, but speaking of water, we just want to emphasize um, a lot of people tend to drink out of nerves the day before a race. There's no need to over, over hydrate. You don't mm-hmm. want to, it'll give you a headache. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind when you're nervous the day before the race. So, yeah. So back to the water, uh, yeah. making sure you're doing, you know, either the noons, I've started this habit and I've had a couple of people pick up on it. I drink a lot of V8 leading up to the race yes. and I don't know if it really helps that much, but um, definitely the, the night before. And the well, night that's before. what it was. So adding the sodium, adding even if it's not going to be a hot day, that's uh, Julie knows my favorite pre-race meal is sushi because I like to have the soy sauce mm-hmm. and the white rice. Mm-hmm. And and that to and me the is. People that know me know that I like to eat a lot of salty pretzels. I mean, I, I believe in what I call cameling, you know, the more salty food that you eat the day before, the more you're encouraging your body to hold a little bit of that extra fluid and that you feel a little bit uncomfortable on race morning and those first five, six, seven miles but middle of that race, you feel much more comfortable, and I think you're more you're more hydrated into that race when you can't take in all that fluid during the race. So to, that's worked for me. I'm not saying it works for everybody, but I focus on saltier foods the few days before. And you're not overhydrating. You're just taking in saltier exactly. foods. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's important to note. Okay. So if you're there Saturday, if you're there Saturday, um, early in the morning, the Hash House Harriers have a run. Uh, it's their Boston run, and they're usually out there in costumes. So I encourage you to Google that and find it. Just looked it up. This year's theme is a Game of Boners, a song of Fireball and Smirnoff Ice. So they they have these different themes, and uh, 
if you go out there and, and watch them, they're they're pretty entertaining to run. I guess if you're a Harrier, definitely try to join. And run. where where do those runs take place from? Where in Boston? Uh, they're, they're downtown somewhere. I kind of okay. stumbled across them one time when I was down there, and everyone was dressed up. Uh, I think it was like an S and M year that year. But it nice, was, nice. Who are those people? But yeah, exactly. They're like, wait, I have sex sleep for them. I, exactly. <laughs> hey, look what I have. But it, it kind of again, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, this is something unique. You don't see this every day. So also going down to watch the five k. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. kind of the fun 5K, to do. That's mile. on Saturday. Is on Saturday. Yeah, Saturday. 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 Yep. Is that correct? Yeah. Saturday. Yeah. On Saturday, going to watch the five k and the mile is is really fun. I like to get out and see that from there. On yeah. Maybe it's Sunday morning. I can't the five k Saturday, but the there are events on Sunday morning as well. Um, but um, also, what's really fun is there's a lot of and a lot of meetups, especially now with the proliferation of social media. There's a lot of podcast meetups. Um, and, um, a lot of elite runners have meetups as well. So mm-hmm. definitely check those out. It's a lot of fun. We did one last year. That was really nice with yes. Lindsay Hine. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. So. So that was the first part of our conversation last night. And we continued for quite some additional time, uh, transitioning into race day and, and the course itself. So we're going to put that in another episode. So lots of things, lots of things ahead. All right. So stay tuned for more information on the Boston Marathon. Thanks for joining us.